Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with engaging author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations and to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. If you are interested in accessing unique bonus content, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group. I offer two levels, Page Turners, which includes my popular Early Reads program, where patrons have access to monthly early digital reads through NetGalley, and exclusive pre-publication author chats, as well as regular bonus episodes and fun surprise content. My second level is Lit Lovers, which includes all of the page-turner benefits, as well as my Traveling Galley program, where patrons can read at least three to four new titles a month that are in print galley form and are passed along to other members. In addition, there are two monthly episodes, fiction-nonfiction pairings, and spoiler-filled interviews with three authors. The link to join is in my show notes. Today, I have the honor of chatting with Alice Hoffman about The Invisible Hour. Alice is the author of more than 30 works of fiction, including The Book of Magic, Magic Lessons, The World That We Knew, Practical Magic, The Rules of Magic, a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, The Oprah's book club selection here on Earth, The Red Garden, The Dove Keepers, The Museum of Extraordinary Things, The Marriage of Opposites, and Faithful. She lives near Boston. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Welcome, Alice. How are you today? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I cannot tell you what an honor this is. I am just beyond excited that we get to chat with each other. So thank you for taking the time to come on my show. Of course. So I really, really enjoyed The Invisible Hour, and I cannot wait to ask you all about it. But before I do that, could you give me a quick synopsis of the book for those that haven't read it yet? (sighs) Yeah, it's really about mothers and daughters. That's how I see it. But It's a story of a girl who's raised in a cult. And in this cult, there are no no books or allowed, certainly no fiction. And she makes her way to the library in town and is befriended by the librarian. And she reads The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, which is a pretty interesting book, you know, to go back and read. It's so much about women and choices that women can, can and cannot make. And it changes her life. And it's also, I have to say, a story about time travel. I happen to love time travel. I mean, I, I, I just, it just really appeals to me. And I wrote this book during COVID. So I think the idea of like leaving the time you're in and going to a different time was very appealing to me. So she falls in love with Nathaniel Hawthorne as a reader and then as a person. I love time travel as well. That always appeals to me. And I loved the way you handled it. And I'm always so curious about how an author is going to handle it. Like, the, the aspects of it and what's going to happen and traveling to another time period and potentially another world here. It's another time period. But I thought it was very well done. And it's an Indie Next pick. Congratulations. I always look at their picks and feel like that is this place I start for recommendations. Thank you. I'm very honored. It was, I was really 
thrilled when I heard that. Yeah, it's very exciting. The other thing before we talk much about your book, I have a galley and you have this beautiful letter that you've written in the front of it. And part of it really stood out for me. And I wanted to read that really quickly. You say the bond between writer and reader is a cherished and mysterious one. A book doesn't live when it's written. It lives when it's read. As a reader, I know how profoundly books have affected me. That really sat with me, too, because that's exactly how I feel. I often talk about books that I read years ago that I still regularly think about. And I think you learn so much, but they also become a part of you. And I just loved those sentences. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting to me. I think that reading is the most interactive art there is because it doesn't exist one, it doesn't exist without the other person. I mean, it's just scratches on a page until, you know, a reader imagines it. I mean, it's work for the reader too. And it's different, you know, like a book, every book is different depending on who the reader is. So, I mean, it, books, reading really changed my life and was kind of, I, I feel like saved my life as it does in, in, in the invisible hour, it saves her life. Um, the main character, but I, I kind of don't know where I would be or what I, what I would have done without, without books. And, you know, it, it, the idea that, you know, it's also like so freeing, especially when you're a young reader that you get to pick the book you want to read and you find these great authors that you fall in love with. And it's just a really, I think nothing ever tops what you read when you're like 12 and 13. For some reason, I had such an impressionable time. I, you know, I still go back and read those books that I found when I was that age. I think that's exactly right. And I think the flip side of it is the point you make in this book, cults and other groups, all the book banning we're going through now, how important it is to the cause for all of these groups to ban books because it opens your mind, it teaches you new things, and you can't have people doing that if you're trying to control them. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, one of the, my favorite writers is Ray Bradbury. And when I was about 12 or 13, I read Fahrenheit 451. And that's all about a society where books are outlawed and books are so precious. Books are so precious that readers memorize novels and memorize books so they won't die. And, you know, this book banning is very scary because, you know, who's to decide, you know, what I can read or what my child can read? You know, I think when it comes to my child, I, you know, if they're of a certain age, I should be the one to decide that. But, you know, it, it's, I guess books are very scary for some people because they do show you different worlds and they do kind of open your heart and teach you empathy in a way that I think nothing else does. I was just going to say that they teach you both empathy and sympathy. And I think that the more open-minded you are, the more likely you are to accept other people, to be open to new ideas. And yes, that goes against what a lot of these people are trying to promote. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's, it's scary. So that, that is partially what the book is about. And partially, you know, it's also about kind of, in a way, my relationship with my mother, which was very, you know, uh, I think, you know, so many of us were so angry at our mothers until we grow up. And, and then and then looking back, it's so different. My mother was a great friend and a terrible mother. So at least I had the great friend. Exactly. And you talk about that in your letter and the Scarlet Letter and how much it meant to you. So let's talk a little bit more about using the Scarlet Letter in this book and why you chose to do that. Yeah. Well, my main character's mother gets pregnant when she's very young and her parents are very wealthy Boston couple. They don't want her to make her own decisions. They want to make the decisions for her. And she actually wants to have the child. They don't want her to. And she runs away and joins this cult. And, you know, it's a terrible mistake. And her daughter is raised in this cult. And, 
you know, the Scarlet Letter is 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 really about the same thing. It's about the Puritans, which really like a cult, and the fact that women were not allowed. They believed in original sin. They believed that, you know, Eve was the cause of all evil in the world and that women were not allowed to make their own choices. And the Scarlet Letter is so ahead of its time because it's about a woman who decides what she's going to do. She's going to have this child. She's not going to say who the father is. And even if she's an outcast, she's going to do what she wants to do. And it's, I kind of took that idea and, and made it more modern. But in the book, I don't want to give too much away, but in the book, when uh, when my character Mia is a girl and she reads the Scarlet Letter, she feels like she's reading her own life. And there's a reason for that. I loved that. I don't want to have any spoilers either, but I <laughs> loved the way that all connected up. And, you know, you're reading along and you've gotten through the cult story and then all of a sudden there's kind of a different story. And so it took me a minute and I was like, OK, they, I'm sure they're going to connect. And so they do. But how did you create the format? Like how how did you come up with that, the way that you were going to write it? I wrote it in, in several different ways, you know, which is what I usually do. So there were lots of different versions, but I thought basically I was going to be writing about two time periods. And so the first half of the book is in one time period and the second half of the book is in the other time period. And if people say, well, I don't know, it's hard for me to believe that she would go back in time. Well, it's time travel. You have to kind of suspend that disbelief and just go with it. You know, it's, it's, it's not a reality that I know of. So you have to just kind of jump into it and just go with it. Well, I was laughing when I was looking at a couple of reviews and somebody said, you have to suspend disbelief. And I'm like, yes, you do. It's time travel. So, (laughs) and if people have read your books before, it's not like you have never included any magical realism in your books. Like this is not a big departure. So I was kind of laughing. I was like, "Hmm, yes, maybe you don't really have to suspend disbelief because you already know it's time travel. But I love time travel. So I'm always up for those kind of stories. And to go back and to meet an author like that, like Jane Austen for me is my all-time favorite author. I have read Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion over and over and over again. Like if I could go back in time and meet her, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, for me, actually, it would be Emily Bronte. I think it would just be so, I mean, I'm just so interested in how somebody with such a small life wrote so big and knew so much. So I want to have dinner with her. I really thought a lot about that as I was reading your book, because I like The Scarlet Letter and Nathaniel Hawthorne would be interesting. But I was like, oh, I'd really like to meet Jane Austen. Yeah. And also Nathaniel Hawthorne, like the handsomest writer ever. Yes, that's true, too. So Mia goes back before he writes the book. And so that was also so creative. I don't want to give anything away. But as to what happens with respect to that, as she is spending time with him, I just, I don't know, your mind is so creative. I just over and over again was completely amazed. Thank you. Well, I had to find a year in his life when nothing much happened. So I was I was limited, you know, because I had to find this time period where nothing much happened. He didn't publish anything. Nothing happened personally. And I found this time period where very little happened. And so I had to stick within that time. Well, I loved that. The other thing that was very interesting to me, because I have three children, two of which are daughters, was the mother-daughter relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I write a lot about that. And I think, you know, partially it's my own relationship and trying to kind of understand that. It's such a complicated relationship. And, um, you know, sometimes I think as a parent, you think you're doing the right thing and it turns out to be all wrong. Or you think you're doing the wrong thing and it turns out to be all right. It's just very complicated. And I think my character, Mia, doesn't understand her mother because she doesn't understand how her mother grew up. I mean, I always think you can't really know your parent because you didn't know them when they were young. And people are just so different. 
And their experiences are so different. And not just in terms of their family experiences, but in terms of the generational times, in terms, you know, technology or lack of it when my mother was growing up and just what it was like during that time period versus during our time period. Yeah, you know, I, I, I in this letter, which is not going to be in the book, but it is in the galley that I write about my mother. She was a social worker, and I used to help her pick up babies and take them to foster care. And it was traumatic, I have to say. It was really difficult. You know, it was a, it was a very traumatic thing. My mother was very liberal and always felt like, you know, people should be able to make their own choices. I think she was a really good social worker because of that because she didn't want to force her opinion on anyone. But anyway, it was traumatic for me as like a 12 and 13 year old to be picking up these babies. Absolutely. And then to understand what you were having to do with them and then hope that they're going to have okay futures, but probably never know. Right, exactly. What about your research? What kind of research did you have to do? Well, I read a lot about Hawthorne's life and his wife, Sophia Peabody. And I was uh, lucky because a friend of mine, Megan Marshall, is an expert in has written Pulitzer Prize winning books about um, the Peabody sisters. Those were the, he married one of those sisters. And so she was very helpful and read the book for me. I talked to a lot of experts and I read as much of his work as I could. I didn't want to read too much because I wanted him to be a person to me. And, you know, he, he, he's interesting to me because he seemed like he was very depressed a lot of the time and that kind of writing saved his life as well. And he had this accident when he was young. So he felt very separate from the rest of the world and kind of found the world in reading and in writing. And I very much related to that. But he had some very famous friends. He had some famous friends. Yeah. Very famous. I didn't really realize that till I was reading your book. I don't know that much about him, but I I was kind of amazed. I was like, oh, I didn't really realize that he had intersected with several of these people. Well, that's, you know, in Concord, Massachusetts, there was this this amazing world of writers of Thoreau and Emerson and the Alcott's and and um, he, Hawthorne and his wife actually rented a house that had belonged to Emerson's grandfather. And it was, you know, Thoreau as a gift when, when Hawthorne got married, planted a garden for him. The garden's still there in this house called the Old Manse, which is such a cool place to visit. Yeah, it was such an incredible world that all of these people were writing at the same time in the same place. Absolutely. And that was another thing that was interesting, kind of as a sidebar to what you're saying. When Mia goes back in time, she sees the world as it looked then. And so she knows what it's going to look like in the future, but she can see it, you know, 200 years ago. And I thought, oh, how interesting to take the time where you're living now and see what that looked like sometime in the past. No, I know. Would we even want to? I, I, I mean, I guess I would. I mean, I think everyone has their time period that they would want to go back to. I thought about it a lot during COVID. And for me, it's like the 1960s in New York City. That's where I want to go back to. So if I have my choice, that's where I'll go. I think I might do the 1920s in Paris. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, that would be a good one too. But I love New York City. So I would always pick a time there and think that was a lot of fun. What surprised you the most when writing this one? Well, I'm always kind of surprised, you know, by who who my characters turned out to be. And you know, I didn't wasn't sure what the ending was going to be. So that kind of surprised me. You know, I always feel like, you know, with a book, I want to feel like I can't wait to turn the page. And I want to feel that way when I'm writing, too. Even though I have an outline, I think I know what I'm doing. But as I go along, things just change. So you do outline. You start with that. You work through it. And then eventually at different places, you deviate. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a set time that you write? Do you write a certain amount or you just write when you can and write when you want to? 
I, I, I do. I used to have a set time, especially when I was starting out, I would get up at like 4.45 and, you know, right before I went to either school or my job or when I had kids, you know, right before they got up. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, but now I just, I don't know, life seems so busy that it, it, I feel like if you don't make a time, it's very hard to do it. Um, but I tend to be writing all the time. And the only sad thing about that for me is that I really don't read as much as I used to. I'm not, I don't think of myself as a big reader anymore because whenever I'm reading, I feel like, oh, I could be writing. And for me, that's kind of a deeper communion, you know, to, to write the book than to read it. So I, for me, that's kind of a loss that I'm not a big reader the way I used to be. I would think that while you're writing, to also be reading could be a little distracting because then you get caught up in this other story and you're thinking about how they've laid it all out and what they've included. And then that might be very distracting for what you're working on yourself. Exactly. I feel like, you know, I don't want to be influenced by what they're doing, even like subconsciously. Or, and and since I'm writing all the time, it's really, unless I'm on vacation or something like that, I'm not reading so much. That makes sense. Well, what was the hardest part about writing this book? Ah. Uh, I don't know if there was a, a hard break. I mean, I did it in different versions. So that was hard for me to kind of choose the way to tell it and to try to just go with it, even though I couldn't explain the time travel in a in a way that was simplistic. It's not like, you know, you touch the rocks, you know, and 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 suddenly you can walk through time. You know, it's it's more complicated than that. It has to do with places where things happened, where there's a grave, where there's a birth you know, like these places that are just very pivotal places in a person's life. Did you have to think a lot about that, the time travel part, how it would play out, how you would choose what would cause the time travel? Yeah. And for a while I had him coming here, which was really fun. It wasn't right for the book, but it was just really fun to, to have him experience modern life and to see what was a, what was like his times and what was so unlike his times. But in the in the end, it didn't really it didn't really fit into the book. It was just kind of my fun activity. Was he dumbfounded by our time period? He liked it. <laughs> I always wonder what that would be like. And I hadn't really thought about it in this instance, but somebody coming from that time period to now to be like, what is happening? So many things have changed. I mean so many. Yeah, no, he really liked it in my in my version. He's like, I'm gonna stay here. <laughs> it's time to write there's so many things to do <laughs> yes exactly I, i'm busy watching netflix <laughs> or searching the internet so i love to talk about titles and covers those are things that really appeal to me and i feel like so much more goes into them than people often realize so let's talk a little bit about first the invisible hour as the title and then your stunning stunning cover well i went through a lot of titles i find that i either have the title from the beginning or it's a huge struggle. And I went through, you know, I don't know, a hundred different titles or something. I really a lot involved all my friends and tried to get them to help me. I don't even know how this, how this happened at the end, but I think when I think of the invisible hour, I think of that time. It's kind of has to do with the time travel, kind of that hour between worlds. And Mia and her mother are always talking about. There's a line in Shakespeare's work and, and about be, being, in, we walk invisible. And Mia's always wishing that they could be invisible so they could escape from this place and walk out of there. So I think it's kind of the hour when that actually happens, when you're free. That's what it, that's what it feels like to me. But I had so many other titles, but now I just think of it as, as the invisible hour. It's funny how that happens once you, once you choose a title. 
and also many, many covers, many. And um, when I saw this photograph, I knew that this was it. What were some of the other covers that you looked at? You know, I almost can't remember. Probably kind of like the title. Well, I feel like if I was not a writer, I would love to, I I don't have the ability, I would love to make book jackets and book covers. I just think it really is so important to a book. And it, you know, I think of a book really kind of as like a, it's kind of like an artifact, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a piece of art or something. And it shouldn't matter, you know, every book should be able to have, you know, just a, a dark blue cover or something. But I think it kind of expresses the soul of the book if you get it right. And, um. I don't know. I was looking through all these photographs and and couldn't find the right thing. And then when I saw this, I I just thought this is this is my character and this is the place takes place in Western Massachusetts and this is this feels like the place to me. So I felt very lucky. I think you're exactly right on the cover though because I think it can completely turn a reader off or it can draw them in. And then your point is well made that if they match up because that's the other thing. I can love a cover and I can read a book and then I'll look at the cover and be like. I don't understand this cover related to this book. They're both nice, but they don't go together. And it drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, I really have this horrible thing of, I do judge a book by its cover. I am drawn to, I I mean, not always. There are some writers that I just read because I love them. But, you know, if it's someone I don't know or haven't heard of before, it really is about the cover for me. Me too. And I have a hard time getting past a cover that I have a visceral response to that is not positive. So, you know, if I look at the cover and I'm like, oh, I just have a really hard time picking it up. Yeah. No, I know. And I, so I feel really happy with this because this is this is it. I mean, this is kind of the soul of the book. It is. It's beautiful and it's different. And that's the other thing. I feel like so many covers today are somewhat similar. You, it's hard to almost distinguish them. You could just look down a row and this one completely stands out. You know, I feel very lucky. I feel like my books have had incredible covers. I'm always and I've worked with a lot of people who are very generous and I tend to be involved and I want to see the cover and, you know, talk about it and discuss it. and. So I, I just feel like I've been really lucky. Well, I'm sure you're at the point in your career where they're going to be listening to you about your cover. Yeah, because I complain a lot. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, I mean, you have sold so many books and have done so well that they're going to want you to be happy. Oh, thanks. Well, hopefully. I don't know, but I am happy. <laughs> well, good. Back to the title. Is that something that happens to you regularly? Do you usually struggle to find a title or do you usually find the title or is it just been split depending on your books? It's totally split. Like, uh, you know, certain books, like I wrote The Dove Keepers, that was always The Dove Keepers. It was never going to be anything else other than that. And with that cover, I actually found the photograph while I was working on the book. It's a photograph by an artist named Joyce Tennyson, who I've, I've used other of her photographs. She's amazing. And I feel like, oh, I, she, I just really kind of, um, her work is so beautiful. And that was uh, of a young woman with long red hair with two doves dove sitting on each of her shoulders I'm like this is my character you know this is it and um then I wrote a book called The Marriage of Opposites that was always the title and you know that's so lucky when that happens because you know it's not usually the case with me well titles can be very tricky too and I always say I don't like titles that are just a bunch of words strung together that I have to be like what order do they come in what is that title again something like The Invisible Hour or The Dove Keepers or Faithful which I love um, you know, or ones that are going to just stick with you versus having to remember, okay, what order do all these words go in together? Yes. You know, I got to say Faithful, I remember because it had so many different titles and it, its original title was Girl's Best Friend. And there was a picture because she rescues dogs. And and um, there's, I, I still have that cover. It was a great cover, just not for this book of a, 
of kind of a white bulldog with wearing kind of this bow tie. And it was, oh, it was nice, but it just wasn't right for the book. It wasn't the soul of the book. Yeah, that's another stunning cover. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah, I was lucky. It's one of those that has definitely stayed with me. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up, Alice, what have you read that you really loved and would recommend? Uh, well, as I said, I don't read that much, but I've, I've read a couple of books recently that I've loved. One is by Laura Zygmunt's Separation Anxiety, which is just really a terrific book. And the other one is by Anne Leary called The Foundling, which is it, oh, such a fascinating historical book about kind of like the way if women didn't behave, they were often put away in these institutions and made to work. It's part of history that I didn't know anything about. So it was really interesting to me. And then I always want to read Elizabeth Stroh. Like, you know, she's so different than I am, but she's so inspiring. Her work is so beautiful, so kind of deceptively simple. And then it just really gets to you. And so I would read anything by her over and over again. I hate to admit I have not read a single one of her books, but I always hear they're wonderful. And I love Anne Leary. And I have not read The Foundling because I'm a little worried it's kind of too dark for me. But I love one of her earlier books, The Children or something like that, that was just phenomenal. Well, you know, The Foundling, it's, it's, it's about a dark time, but it doesn't feel dark. Okay. You know, so it's, it's kind of uplifting in some way. And it's really fascinating and amazing that we don't know more about this period. And the characters are really extraordinary. So I recommend it. Okay, good. You're like the fourth person to recommend it. So I really do need to pick it up. Because clearly it's a good one. <laughs> and also Laura Zygman writes about kind of dark topics sometimes, but she's hysterically funny at the same time. So, you know, I don't know. I recommend all her books too. Okay, good. And she had another one, Separation Anxiety. Is that her latest? I think that's her latest. She has this book. The book is about two sisters who had a sister who was actually also in a home. Yes. Passed away. It's a beautiful book. It's also really funny. Oh, yes. Here it is. The latest Laura Zygmunt book is called Small World. It's really interesting how sometimes people can take dark subject matter and it doesn't feel dark. You know, it, it, it feels inspirational almost, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons we read novels, right? To kind of allow us to think about life in a different way. And to see how people deal with situations that either you might encounter or you've wondered about. Yeah. Well, Alice, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. This was just so delightful. Oh, thank you for talking with me. I appreciate it. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.